The Conquest of Bliss, a podcast about finding light in the darkness. I'm going to start again. (laughs) Hello, everyone. I am Kara here, as usual, and I'm here today with Matt Carter from the Bad Christian Podcast, and we are going to have a conversation today about designing your life. And so how are you today, Matt? I am doing very good. I'm I'm thankful to be on with you. It's been, it's it's a very, uh, it's a very nice thing and that I've designed my life in such a way that I can just pop on and do podcasts right here from my basement. You know, so it's good, good, good for me to do. It's nice to talk to you. I, uh, I'm very excited to have this conversation because I've heard you talk about it here and there. And then, of course, because, you know, you have a, you have a decent following. I've had people you know, talk to me about what they think about it. And I tend to. So one person was saying that they're like, oh, well, you know, they're just lucky. Matt's just lucky. And I disagree with that. I think I think that there's a lot to be said about. About willfully choosing things to design the life that you want and I think that well I wonder what you think about this I think that there's a lot to be said about designing your life but understanding that you can't actually predict exactly what that's going to look like and being comfortable in in the I don't know but I know that this is the direction I want to go mm-hmm. well I would certainly agree with the people who say I'm lucky they're completely right about that I don't know if they mean it as an insult or anything, but I, certainly lucky is something that, that I consider myself. Um, I, I think that it's, I mean, it's kind of, I think it's rude to say somebody's just lucky. I think that's rude to say about anybody. But I accept that I am lucky, and I don't think I would be able to do anything or have anything that I have if I wasn't very lucky also. I put it that way. So I think that's worth worth acknowledging. So yeah, I, I do agree that there's an element of luck. Uh, of course, I mean, you're a, you're like a rock star, right? Mm-hmm. And not everybody who wants to be a musician ends up being a rock star. I think that's true, but I think that there's so much to be said for the willingness to take the risk. Like I've heard you talk a little bit about your guys's decision to go to Seattle and how little you knew about what was going to come of that. Mm-hmm. And I think that that plays a much bigger role than people like to Admit, and I, I mean, you know, I'm not really trying to talk, are you lucky, are you not lucky, so much as it took me a really, really long time to realize that that there's a lot that is in our control. Mm-hmm. Yes, I mean, it's, it's certainly both, but let me start by saying in some of the ways that I do consider myself lucky. I grew up in, in the 80s in South Carolina in a rural setting. And it, it really isn't what I would consider a, a good environment for somebody like me. It, re- it really wasn't. I think that uh, I was very lucky to have mainly probably the mom I did that didn't allow the school system and the, the just the regular rules of society to uh, try to get me to conform to it. She resisted a lot of that stuff. I didn't I did I had trouble with uh, school and authority and you know every just everything they, they tried to diagnose me with a million things or give me a million drugs and say that I had you know problems and, and things like that and the, the 
it was like stuff that they don't diagnose people with anymore and drugs they don't give children anymore and it was just a controlled behavior of somebody who's wired differently and that could have and i think it typically goes a lot worse for people in that situation if the if the parent is uh above all wanting the, the kid to, to just be normal like and you can feel that from from a parent very strongly if they need their kid to fit in and be normal and just don't rock the boat and achieve like Johnny and get the good grades if that's a, a, a thing that a parent can put on a kid uh, and then agree with the system of conformity when when kids are a lot of kids are a lot different and a lot of those kids they just get crushed and they have no chance, and then they get an identity on their, their own self as a, a failure or a loser or somebody that can't do or somebody that can't be. And if that, if you get that early, I mean, you're, you're not, it's not going to go well, basically. And then I think there's strings of compound effects from that. And my mom fought for me a lot, and I was able to really kind of avoid that. We did, we lived our life alternatively, and she would fight, fight back with the systems and authorities, and and you know. I wasn't maybe the best kid. I, I was. I certainly was a smart ass to and and deserved to get in trouble and and sought getting in trouble a lot in a rebellious way. But I was able to navigate that in a, in a way that that was certainly fortunate and lucky. And and then the rest of it, I, I don't want to attribute to like I just knew I've known what to do or been successful at things. It, it's it was all out of necessity. So for me doing anything in an alternative way. There's no way I could have ever done it the normal way. It was never going to happen. It never could have. It never would have. I could not have done things the normal way if I wanted to. So I've always known that it was going to be up to me to figure out a way to, to, to survive and, uh, and thrive, period. So that, that was clear to me at a very young age that I'm not going to be able to be like other people and compete with them in the normal ways. There's no way. So it wasn't really by choice or because I was determined to succeed or none. It's really none of that stuff. It's just trying to survive in, in my own way. Well, and that makes that makes a lot of sense to me. My my brother, uh, you remind me a lot of my brother as far as the whole wiring thing goes, like the way that he seems to process information is similar. And my parents were good parents, but definitely my brother has fallen to sort of the side where, you know, having the different wiring he's it it feels oftentimes like he's given up i don't know that he's given up i haven't asked him that but he's given up on on trying and and there's times when you know he tries to work with it but yeah that just really resonates with me i think that the the environment that you grow up in makes a big difference mm -hmm. and for me i don't know i don't know how much you know about my situation but so growing up i was fairly uh like neurotypical and everything like that but when I got sick, I kind of was in the same sort of position where suddenly I couldn't really work within the parameters of the society that we created. Like I, you know, I can't, I can't do a nine to five because I'm always at the doctor and I have medical issues and all this stuff. And so I've kind of more recently had to go, okay, well, I guess you have to figure out what to do with what you've got. You know, mm -hmm. you've got to figure out a way, a way to make what you have work because it's, it's fine to, well, not fine. It's not beneficial, but it's, it's normal, I think, to fight against it for a long time. Like, I just want to be normal. I just want to fit in. I just want to be able to work a normal job, etc. But eventually, you know, over time, I like I started Artstrom and and was like, okay, I guess this is what I've got. I'm stuck. I'm stuck figuring something out to work for the the life that I actually have, not the life that I wish I have. And it's been incredible. It's been mm -hmm. incredible. 
Like, it's amazing how just like, even just believing that, that things are possible makes a massive difference in things being possible. Well, the, and they have to be possible, though, is a, is a big part of it. And the society that you're in and the time and place you're in is another huge lucky feature. I mean, there's plenty of societies and times and places and, and where conformity is very necessary and to, for survival of, of the people, the people you're with. I mean, you know what I mean? Like you, there's, there's plenty of times and places where it, we just need everybody to do exactly what we need them to do for the good of everybody. That's built into humans. That's part, that's okay. I understand how it is that way. But when, when you live in a free and open society with enough resources and you can expand and, and make more space for more alternative types of things, it becomes a more beautiful place. And sometimes people and places and cultures are slower to foster more things that can, that can have more diverse ways of, of being. And so that's always going to be a battle. But, you know, on the, on the other hand, living in the late, 20th century in the United States is a, is a wonderful time when you there is the possibility to do things differently and you can you certainly can survive the worst is people you know make fun of you that's not so bad you know that you can deal with that too or there's opportunities to design your own ways of working and now we have more and more of the gig economy and stuff like that so people are way more able to customize their life than they've ever have been before it's just we we didn't have permission, or we didn't know we had permission, or we know we didn't know we didn't need it. It's like oh, you, there's you could if you if you can trade off this and you don't if you decide by your preference you don't need that then it's, it's a lot more open, it's a lot more free. So there's a lot more I always feel to take advantage of than people do if they could name their preferences and then accept certain trade offs. That's kind of what it's really about. Yeah, that's it's so huge. I think that you nailed it right on the head when you say that people don't know. People don't know that there's there's opportunities and, and stuff. Like, I mean, I spent, I spent a few years before I really did much of anything trying something different. And then, you know, what, what happened with the Arstrom thing, people just kept asking me to do commissions. And like, because I, I don't know if you know about, it's just graphic design and animation. But people just kept asking me, like reaching out to me. And I thought, oh my God, like this could, like this is a real job and I could just decide to do it. And people just accepted it when I said that I was doing right. it. You, nobody had to <laughs> tell you to do it or you could do it. You, just, you had to decide and then who and knows? And then people accepted yeah. it. And Why wouldn't it just it? had never, <laughs> and it had never occurred to me that I could do that. And the same is, is kind of true with podcasting. And I mean, I know that I'm still pretty new and stuff, but it was just like, you don't need permission to do it. You just do it and people will, people will, Mm-hmm. To a large degree, not always, but people will accept the person that you decide that you are. And that's a crazy thing. And it's crazy that it's not obvious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're kind of built to to conform. And I mean, think about it this way. The easiest way to know if you're doing okay is just to look to your left and to right and say, yeah, I'm on the right track because I'm in between this and that. So being outside of the norm is always scary. It, and it's danger. It can be dangerous, you know. So it's but if you don't, if you're not really grounded, and you don't really know all the details, and you're not really willing to risk something, then you're of course you're better off staying in the lane. I mean that that is more sensible, and I think it'd be reasonable to say you should stay in the normal lanes of everything for anything you don't care much about. Like every like, for instance, uh, I don't do alternative things. For, in areas that are not in my interests. So, for instance, just things like, uh, let me think of a good example of that. 
I'm not much into politics, right? So I'll just go right down the middle on that stuff. Whatever. Like yeah, that's that's. Safer. I'll just that's safer to me. I, I don't care enough, so I'll just get in the middle there and let everybody else handle that. But the things I care about, I'm willing to step beyond other people in and accept some risk. So it's not you have to figure out everything. I can't figure out everything. I just choose the things that I'm interested enough to figure out, and then I'll make the calculated decisions of what to risk and and how that'll go. Well, yeah, that that makes sense. I I definitely do the same thing where it's just, you know, if it's something that I don't have a lot of interest in, it's like you just kind of toe, toe the line and go along and do what you've got to do. Yeah, take the Yelp and, reviews on the Indian food. Whatever everybody says is good, great. I don't know anything about it. I like Indian food yeah. a little bit. So whatever has the most stars, I want the most basic plain thing that everybody likes in that area. I don't need to be different. <laughs> That's not an yeah. area that I'm obsessed with. It's just something I kind of like on a, an average way. Netflix shows, just <laughs> whatever. Whatever everybody likes, whatever it recommends, that'll be fine. <laughs> well, and I think I think the other the other really interesting thing is the trade-off thing. I think people don't realize like when they see someone like you, I think people don't realize that you give up a lot of quote unquote normalcy and ease to have the life that you have. Mm-hmm. Well, you know? it, I, again, that's a necessity for me. I, you know, it was like I said, I, it wasn't it, it's it's not that I mean, I can't have I've always known I couldn't have like a boss or something, so I better get to it, figure out what how to get how to have money because no boss is going to hire me. I'm not going to be able to work uh, well and do a good job for somebody else's thing. I, it was, that wasn't going to be able to happen. So I, it's not really a ch- it really isn't much of a choice. It's, it's just a necessity kind of a thing is the way I look at it. So the trade off is I'm never going to have any kind of security. I just I've give I just let that go. And yeah, so that's actually, that's what I was going to ask you is, because I mean, and from the outside looking in, you seem like a a fairly happy person by the definition of, you know, uh, at peace with where you're at, at any Mm -hmm. given time. Um, So I was going to ask, like, how do you address, you know, things like lack of security? That's, that's a very scary thing for a lot of people. You just address it by just accepting it, like radical acceptance. Well, I mean, it's just a little bit at a time. I'm not good. Any... (laughs) Another, if I had to give another secret of mine, it's I have <laughs> I've never been good at anything when I started being interested in it. it. It's 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 not that I have talents and that's lucky in that sense. It's just I become interested in a thing and I pursue that thing and I start at a low level of it and then get to a high level of it over a long period of persistent focus on it and that is true about things like uh security i I used to need a lot more security and now i need a lot less because i'm better at i have that's something you can stretch yourself in is being able to have less security but you have to start like i I started i was a more fearful person when i was a child i needed a lot more care and i was scared of many more things and now i'm scared of less things because i pushed that outward actively over time so you know it's it's a uh, that's part of same with exercise or something you, you don't like it and you're not good at it until you just do it more and then then all of a sudden you can and, and even like you said security you just said it's too scary for a lot of people but scary is different than unsafe right yes so so that's another skill is to be able to separate what is scary from what is unsafe that's a skill I, I would say I am aware of and have worked on 
Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting. I've, I've been thinking a lot about fear lately for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about the, the concept of fear lately. And that's one of the things that I really kind of landed on internally is that fear is just it's telling us something. And beyond that, we can just kind of put it away, mm-hmm. you know, because fear isn't like well, something that we can. fear is. a Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have to keep putting it away. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a skill to develop. But once you make that realization, then you got to work on the skill part of putting away the fear once you realize it's only useful to this degree. Yeah. Yeah. And so I find that very interesting because like, I, I don't know if you have this tendency because I know that you do think a lot differently. I'm pretty much the opposite end of the spectrum from you where like I have spent most of my life very very heavily in like the emotional interpersonal side of things and had to learn how to step out of that in order to interact in a healthy way so it uh I have a tendency to believe the the stuff that my brain tells me and I think that that's I think that comes from a healthy place because I think that like that's we need to trust our brains to some degree but so like when my brain tells me like this like you know the world is ending as a I think a common fear that everyone's having like my tendency is to be like well my brain said it so it's true and i find that like exploring exploring how much of our minds are like coming from reality versus what's coming from you know experience and biases and all the different things people have told us i find that super useful in uh in moving forward with this kind of thing mm-hmm. i i <laughs> i agree i agree with that but there's still the 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 management of the things your brain and body tells you. I mean, you could separate brain and body if you wanted to there, but I don't really. It's 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 all you could say it all is brain or all is body. But either way, there's always a lot to to separate. If you want to get a higher resolution, is the way I would say. It. So I think of fear as a low re- resolution tool to be safe, right? It's okay. if you don't have fear, you'll die. That's simple. If you're yeah. not afraid of falling off a cliff at all, then you will have already fallen <laughs> off a cliff, you know. So yeah. it's okay, but but if you are too afraid to walk across uh, one of those bridges that like has a glass bottom, then you know that you're safe. So what what do you listen to? What you have you have two competing things there. You got, I know it's safe, but I feel scared. Can you walk across that bridge and then and 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 have that fun experience or or ride a roller coaster or whatever it might be you you can calculate also and you can feel the emotional part of fear but how do you can you balance them and regulate them your own self and get a higher resolution thing if you're always a, use your fear then you you might always be safe but you're probably missing out on a, on a lot of things I yeah I super super. So it's not about how scared you are or if fear is good or bad. It's just how accurate is it and useful in any given situation, and can you control it? And anxiety is the same way, and you know, and then that you take those momentary emotions and and think about them. Uh, there's a there's two levels of it too actually that I think of it in. I know I think of these things over technically I suppose, but that's that's the way I navigate it. There's that's the immediate fear and anxiety that you you have in the you know unconscious way, and then there's the the fear and anxiety you that you have about like a life choice which isn't momentary. It's not like your heart's racing whether you decide to go to this college or take this job or tr- start a band. It's not the momentary type, but it's still over time and that's all happening more in, in your mind and you're you're calculating but you could but if you're not you, you can uh 
you could still have anxiety that is not physically present in your emotional self. You can have just a, a, a calculative anxiety about is this a good or bad idea, and I don't like to take risk in general type of thing that's another type of fear and anxiety to be able to get better resolutions on if you can set some goals and have some principles that you make decisions by and then stick to them and in that regard I think of it as like a basketball coach would tell a player in any given situation uh, that we have this playbook we run the numbers we know that in this situation you should take this shot uh, and then if the shot goes in or out that's not on you you, you, if you took the right shot, it either falls or it doesn't, and you're not going to be in trouble from the coach if you did what the playbook says you should do in this situation. And so I try to think that way about longer-term decisions. So basically, like, setting guidelines and then setting guidelines and, and uh, honing them and then basically being okay with the outcome because you've decided that that's the, the lowest-risk decision, whatever it happens to be. Yes. Is that what you mean? Yes. Yeah, so I like if you're buying a car and you said, I want this car. Um, I, I think it's a great car. I'm going to go see if I can negotiate with this used car dealership to get it. But I only want it if I can get it $17,500. Uh, it's listed at 21000 And I'm going to stick to that. And I'm going to go in and negotiate. And it, if he, no matter what, if he comes down to 18775 I'm still walking out the door. And then you stick yeah, to okay. that. You're the coach. You decide what it's worth in a cold, rational way. And then you're not using fear or need or I really want the car or, oh, he talked to me. In. Like those things are no longer part of the decision. And you have to be the coach. You have to set the parameters. You have to do the work ahead of time. And then you can you will deal with it whether you didn't get your dream car. Okay, I should have got 250 more dollars. Uh, but but you, you have to be able to put that away and just say, well, I made my decision, and I tried to negotiate him down. Maybe I could have done a better job, but ultimately, that's it. So now I've got to walk away from that and accept that. Yeah, and move move forward from that yeah. point. Right. That that totally makes sense to me. I mean, uh, I I strategize like that all the time, even with the podcast. So uh, I get like I get really nervous about you know putting things out, and then I question what I said and stuff. So like I have a rule that it's like. No, every everything I record, I want to put out within within a week or two weeks, because I know the lo the longer it gets, the less likely I will be. So like I'll set like mm -hmm. rules for myself. <laughs> yeah, right. That's right. You're the you're your own coach, and you're 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 also you're you're negotiating always between your current self and your future self is another way to look at it. You're the coach and the <laughs> player. You have to play both roles, and and you can put on different hats and emotion is not bad or wrong it's very very useful it's just can you decide when to operate in that and when not and could you even put a if you have an emotional desire to live somewhere with a view you can say well it doesn't matter it doesn't matter what it looks like out if i, I just need the rational parts of a home to, that's not true you could put but you could put a number on how you value the view you can give a score a ranking a rating how important it is in your decision making and how good is that view on that house you're thinking about buying is you can you can quantify the things even emotion I, I find and it's not to say that it's bad to have emotional decisions or to really want something but I would say put a number on it yeah that that totally that totally follows that makes so much sense I uh, I see and it's it's funny because like for me I I 
maybe prioritize emotional <laughs> higher even. That's okay though. That's your the, preferences. Some of the rational stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That you just, but that's your preferences, but you need to know yourself that I will be unhappy if I don't get this thing that I want. It's going to be 80% of my decision. Okay. That's fine. Yeah. You accept that, but you have to better accept it and name it, deal with it. And that's just a discipline and it's a skill and anybody can do it. Anybody can be a better coach for themselves. Anybody can treat their future self better, you know, and, and, and it's all incremental and there's no, there's no real magic or secret to it. It's not hard math. Like I talk about numbers all the time, but I'm just saying percentage points. Like, I don't know. I just use rough numbers all the time for everything. And I don't really do a lot of math. It's not that. It's just, I try to quantify, quantify things. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I mean, it's just the, the framework within which you relate to the world. I, uh, I do the same thing with drawing. Um, I, I equate a crazy number of things to drawing that people would never, never really think, <laughs> think relate to drawing at all. So that makes sense to me. Uh, I'm not trying to draw everything. I'm just relating it in that way. Like, like, what do you mean? What kind, how do you think of drawing in a way that's useful that other people wouldn't understand? Um, like when, when I'm like observing the world around me and like practicing mindfulness, I am using the same, the same part of my brain that I use to draw. And it brings me like a lot of joy. So like when I'm walking through the forest, for example, and people might just be noticing like, you know, the, the trees and everything, like I'm noticing things like the patterns that and, and so it, like I use it for meditation a lot without actually drawing mm -hmm. but like I'm noticing like the patterns that the bark makes or you know the the texture of the the moss at the roots and stuff like that or I relate I relate almost anything physical to drawing so because I draw a lot of things not in 3d but like you know you'll you'll draw I don't know how to explain it it's technically 2d because it's a flat drawing but like you know, I have to be able to see things in my mind from any angle. So whenever it comes to anything physical or like engineering, I'm picturing a drawing of it instead of the actual thing. Mm -hmm. So like one time I designed, <laughs> this is going to sound silly, but I designed a curtain for a closet that I had and I wanted it to roll up. It was an art closet. And in order to do that, I accessed the part of my brain that understood drawing so that I could understand how the things would move together. Mm -hmm. so hard now, to explain in well, a way that see, makes sense no i know but that's the, that's the point of why you do that i believe is because it's it's more intuitive to you than verbalizing it would be and that's why it's that's the very reason it's hard to explain is it's an internal language that you have you know exactly to yourself in a way that your brain is wired alternatively or differently than other people or just that you've put enough practice into visualizing shapes so it's not a surprise that would be hard to articulate otherwise you it, you would just write a paragraph about how to design it right and that'd yeah. be easy to tell somebody else so you're finding what works for you in, in, in that regard and then it gives you a, a consistent way to, I mean, it helps you make decisions does it not yes exactly like to, to be able to do it that way so it, it helps the yeah. And yeah, like, and it, it gets, it gets so much more complicated because it's like having a dialogue with yourself. So in, in, in that, yeah, I use more of a mathematical language and it's abstract and it's non-visual. But what I hear you saying is that you have a language with yourself. So you, you'll, you'll communicate with yourself, a different part of yourself, and then you'll he reflect that back to yourself and it helps you make decisions. It's like a, it's in a way, it's like a dialogue only it's, you know, more image based. 
Yeah, and, and it actually, like, it translates surprisingly well to other senses as well, because, like, I find I'll use the same type of thing when, like, I'm cooking and thinking of, like, ingredients in the same way that I would think of things like color and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So, like, yeah, an, an internal dialogue is a perfect way to explain it. It's like this language. And when I, it's funny because when I talk to other artists who have been artists their whole lives, it can be a lot easier for me to communicate ideas with them than if I'm talking to someone who has absolutely no reference when it comes to drawing and stuff. So, and like I said, it could be about different topics that have nothing to do with visuals. It's, it's super, super strange. It's, I don't think it's really that strange. It's, it's, it's about customizing. It's not that there's a way to communicate. It's, a, it's that you have a custom way of communicating with yourself and no surprise that that overlaps with other people who think in those same types of concepts. They're, ma they're like mental maps, basically, right? Yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> I just, I find it very interesting when I listen to you talk about math because, like I said, I, I've thought about that so many times uh, about how, like, like it's, it's interesting how our brains, uh, our brains can, like, just be so different from one another, but, like, um, I don't know. Sorry, I'm going to get into a bit of a... <laughs> I sound like a stoner. Um, <laughs> I just think it's cool how like we're all walking around experiencing just vastly different worlds and filtering everything through vastly different mechanisms, but like sharing the same space and assuming that other people understand us. And I just find that so interesting. Yes, I think you're right that we're certainly not having the same experiences. I, I have a very, uh, I have a, I've started to notice it more recently how different it must be but I have an extremely hard time understanding how people don't think like me I, I almost can't accept it and, and it causes me some real problems I don't I have a, a difficult time understanding other people have different preferences than mine I, I, I know that they do but it just doesn't make any sense that they would in, in, in any given instance I just want to explain to them why I feel this way about it and I fully expect that they'll once I explain it they'll agree and they never do <laughs> and, it, and so I know that's I know that's short-sightedness on my part but I, I really can't fathom how people don't like the exact things that I like for instance I can't understand I can explain to you why I like it and I can't understand why you wouldn't also agree I, and so that makes me talk forever and argue and be uh, people think I'm a jerk for that reason but I, I, I lack the imagination to understand that, that other people are having a different experience I really don't think that sounds right to me <laughs> <laughs> well and, and that makes sense to me because I think that our brains are like I think that it's I think that's natural to assume that we're sharing experiences but for me the, the big like preferences isn't so much but priorities like when mm -hmm. people prioritize let's say making tons of money over enjoyment of their life like i can't wrap my brain around that it to me it sounds fake it's like you're talking about like it sounds like that's not real like, well yeah yeah it is but so you have to the only way i can deal with it is not an empathetic way where i understand that they're different i usually translate it and would i would take somebody who prioritizes money in a way that i think is wrong to uh, to say that they you said that they would care more about money than enjoyment, but there's a if you could zoom out, you there's something else that they are enjoying and calling enjoyment. Yeah. Than than you. That, do. That's a good point. They're enjoying <laughs> something different, but it is enjoyment that they are seeking, and they have some sick 
thing that they enjoy. And, and, and you know, there's a lot of people like that, and that's the easiest way. It sometimes can sound callous in another way, but I'm often will translate things to say, this person's miserable. They must like being miserable is the way I have to say that to myself. I, yeah, I've said, like, said that to myself many you, times. Do you know people that maybe like being miserable? I mean, I can only tell you that I think that's the way you must like to be. And so that can be a callous point of view because they like to say how, oh, you don't understand, it's so bad for me, and, and whatever. And I think, well, you must like it the way it is to some degree, or you must like being in the situation of getting pity. I mean, there's, you know, that's, that's the best I can do because I don't understand their position. I really, I really don't often, and I, I don't know that I can. Yeah, I've. So that's one way I try to navigate that. But then there's the manners part of that. But that, in a in a sense, that's accepting that somebody else has different values or preferences than you do. If you can do it, you know, gracefully is, is the other part, part trick to that. You know, and without being judgmental and things. Well, yeah, I've really struggled with that. Like as as I've been thinking about happiness so much, and I had a conversation with someone um, off off air about about whether or not people have a responsibility to feel happy and so like when I was trying to talk about it I found that I kept tripping up because I felt like I was being so rude to be like oh well like you know people don't have to want to be happy like that sounds like you said callous but yeah some people don't want to be happy and they don't seem to want to yeah be. and and so like it's 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 very confusing because because of that lack of understanding that we're talking about that inability to empathize with that type of thinking and and so you're kind of stuck in this spot where you're like okay well i have to come to terms with it in order to deal with this person and figure out how to mm -hmm. appropriately deal with it but at the same time i don't want to be insulting and make assumptions but also what do you what do you freaking do like <laughs> yeah acceptance is the is the is the key but you know there's a there's a way to accept things that you believe to be negative or even wrong i mean you it is possible to accept things or people it re does require something in there where you say well i suppose that i'm going to accept this whole person including the fact that they like to lash out at people and be miserable i accept some people that are that way is you know i accept them on that ter on those terms you know yeah absolutely it's <laughs> like it's it's very very hard and I find that like, I'm, I'm finding that I, I'm in a weird spot now where I'm starting to believe that everybody is doing the best that they can with the tools they have. Mm -hmm. If we include the tools being things like their perception, their paradigm, their understanding. Their upbringing, their wiring, I 100% agree. So it can sound callous, but I, I really, I, I'm very, <laughs> I think of it as I'm very accepting and not judgmental. Because I'm very comfortable around a lot of people that I think are ridiculous. I mean, just pathetic in some ways sometimes. I, I think I can accept that, but in my language, that's ridiculous and pathetic. Yeah. <laughs> and I accept it. I'm, I'm not judging it, but I don't know. I don't have another. I can't. Or I can pretend a different thing, you know. And so I, I struggle with that a, l a little bit, but it's more about managing. Um, it's more about managing how you communicate that sometimes, of course. But it's possible to be very accepting of negative things, I find, without being judgmental. But sometimes people feel that you're being judgmental if you're not. And so I do have that. Sometimes I, you know, step into that trap. Yeah, for sure. Me, me too. And and I think it comes down to the difference between moralizing and not moralizing. 
like this thing, like mm. you, you talk a lot about net positive and net negative. And I think that that's super helpful because it's like, well, I, I think in terms of harmful and helpful, but, uh, but same mm. idea where it's like, you know, it's not, it's not a moral judgment that someone maybe isn't, you know, uh, meeting some invisible, ever changing standard. It's, it's just understanding and acknowledging that that has a net negative or a, a harmful effect. Right. And then we work from there. Like it doesn't make someone mm -hmm. immoral to, to fuck up, you know? Yes. I, I would say I do everything I can to not even ever think about morality at all. Like I don't, that is not something I'm a fan of. Uh, sometimes I think something's immoral, but that's, it's, it takes a lot for me to claim that a thing is immoral really or i just don't like to judge anything by its morality i think there's usually better ways morality mostly uh i think if you study it in a behavioral way winds up looking mostly like just the reinforcement of qualities that you possess and valuing them in a social status way that's really all morality is about i think yeah that's it's just a way of putting high status on qualities that you already possess well, and I'm finding that that stepping away from morality, because like, I mean, I was raised in the church and stuff, so obviously morality was a big part of my upbringing. And I'm finding that the more I step away from morality, the more peace I have in life. Mm -hmm. The more I step away from the idea that there's some big right and wrong ultimate thing, black and white, the more, mm -hmm. the more joy I feel, the more accepting I am of people, you know, people might have harmful behaviors, but I don't think that they're bad people. I think that they're just doing what they can with what they've got and what they've got is unfortunately not working as well. And yeah. And it brings me so much so much more peace to look at it that way. Well, even if you say net negative and positive, which is way has way more utility value for me in judging a person, even that isn't uh even that is completely subjective to are they a net positive for whatever I'm analyzing for me for relationship with me for society for society with the values I have I don't you know I don't I don't know I mean you could analyze that Saddam Hussein was a net positive for the Middle East at some point right yeah okay yeah. worst probably one of the worst people ever to live and without him the region's more unstable and there's probably more total suffering is that possible yeah yeah so he could have been a stabilizing force in the region, worst person ever, and not. There's no moral argument to make for the guy, but he could. It is possible that that was a net positive for that period of time in some on some axis of analysis. He's if if you were you know one of his enemies, he he'd be a net negative, or somebody you had to spend time around as a, a person. He would certainly be a net negative for you. You know, or if you were, uh, what were the what are the people there, the the Kurds or the, and the people in Kuwait and stuff? I mean, for some groups of people, he was completely a net negative. Yeah. But it just depends on how you're analyzing the the thing, and there, I don't know that there is an ultimate, you know, ruling of if he's what it means to be good or bad. I mean, you see that with a lot of our anything where there's leadership or politicians or anything, it's it's a pretty useless question about like what's in their heart or something. I just find that useless. <laughs> well, you know, it doesn't have much value to determine if you could determine it. What would, what utility would that even have? I mean, and I, I would take that all the way down to my best friend or, or my wife. I don't need to determine if they're good people or bad people. It still doesn't help me in any way. It's just, are they net negative or positive for me? Should I continue the relationship? How much should I invest in it? I don't know. That's all there is to ask. I don't know what else 
is important. Well, that, yeah, that totally, that totally makes sense to me in, you know, even, even if you boil it down to in your own experiences and regrets and things like that, it's like every bad decision that I've made in my, in my life has led to good things as well. And so it depends on how subjective you want to be. Like I used to, I used to do drugs, you know, obviously doing drugs has some, (laughs) some bad effects, but like, well, like real, (laughs) um, I used to do drugs that has bad effects, but it led me to, you know, going to rehab and learning and starting this whole journey and stuff. So overall, if I'm looking at my life as a whole and not just that one little section of it, I'd say that's a net positive that I decided to, you know, Mm -hmm. smoke hard drugs. Like that's, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it sounds ridiculous. Yeah. There's a guy named Gabor Mate or Mate or something like that. And he works in Vancouver. Uh, where they do the things like they have the heroin, uh, they give the heroin needles out and give them a place to shoot up and stuff mm-hmm. like that, like that movement, if yeah, you've heard yeah. of it. And um, the, the, and he and, and that clinic has just the most accepting view I've ever heard. And they'll often tell these junkies that come in that are, you know, 37 years old and just barely alive worst junkies imaginable of course they've had the worst life imaginable and a bad upbringing every bad thing's happened to them and they've been on these drugs and it's just so awful to slice it and look at them and the state that they're in and when they get to that clinic they'll tell them uh good job you did a great job you you use these drugs and 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 stayed alive long enough to get here so that we can get beyond this like you did what you did that good job using the drugs it, it was a way that you helped you get through to get here uh, you know kind of a yeah thing. and 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 good job on surviving so far yeah you, you 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 survived a lot of people in their conditions didn't you know and so maybe the drugs helped them survive to now they can get to the point where they can get help and start to put their life back together and there's no shame in that there's a way to look at that with just no shame at all like that was a positive. You you did what you had to do. I'm glad you had the strength to do it. I'm glad you found the drugs and could get them. Now, what can we do b- bigger and better? You had the worst life imaginable, and you survived. Good work. Yeah, and then how do we how do we move you forward got here. from here? Yeah, you got here. Good work. You know. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's the I. This is I, I try not to make black and white statements, but I think that shame is probably the biggest obstacle to most people's enjoyment of life overall uh i guess that wasn't as black and white as i thought it was going to be (laughs) um (laughs) but yeah so i i hadn't heard that specific out outlook but having like i lived in well not in vancouver but just outside it for a decade so i heard a lot about the needle exchange and the safe injection sites and they even put in and i don't know if it was heroin or if it was just a different opiate but uh vending machines and stuff like that because I, I I couldn't agree more with the thinking of better to help people and meet them where they're at, keep them alive and safe, and then work with them from there instead of shaming them, pushing them to the outskirts of society, mm-hmm. pretending they don't exist, and nothing ever gets better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I think that's right. If you're trying to say drugs are bad, I mean I, I you know no I I think we've made tremendous. Uh, progress in the last probably 10 years on seeing instead of just saying drugs are bad because they correlate with people with bad outcomes that's pretty bad statistical analysis in my opinion like you've just that's just bad analysis just to say well people that use drugs have bad outcomes 
instead of think about how that is and why that is and what could be done or, or blame, you know, the, the a substance or something like that. It's just a, it's just, it's too simple of thinking. It's just not high enough resolution. You know? yeah, it's very reductive. And, and most moral thinking is, is that way. It just, you're just trying to make it too simple usually. Yeah, I, I very much agree with that. And I mean, my, my thoughts on drugs get extremely complicated, but can be boiled down to, I think that most drugs can be used as tools if they're approached right. But uh, mm -hmm. ultimately, you can have a bad relationship with drugs like you can with almost anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and bad is, I mean, think about good and bad as words. <laughs> is, is every time you hear that, if the stakes are low and it doesn't matter, use good and bad. If it's something important to you, please God, try to find more specific <laughs> words than good or bad, you know? Like, again, if I had Indian food, I don't know. Is it, is it good or bad? I, I'm not going to analyze it much more. It's like, that's bad. I won't go there. That's not a real judgment. It's just, I don't know. I'm not going to put much more effort into that. <laughs> yeah. But if I'm trying to decide if a human being is good or bad, that seems... <laughs> very insane and if i if i say that's a bad person i'm i'm matter of factly given the degree of low resolution there must be talking about something superficial you know yeah. that's a bad person that that's a simple way to look at it and it must therefore not be an important thing that i'm talking about if i'm using words like good and bad it must mean that it's not important if it was important, I would certainly find better resolution words and ways to analyze the thing. Yeah, make it specific and measurable. Yeah, that's just, you know, that's the way I look at it in that, in that way. I, I, I tend to agree um, uh, with what you're saying, even though I definitely said bad relationship. It's probably closer to a more harmful relationship with drugs. Like, I used, I used to yeah. have a harmful Well, net negative for net negative for you, net, you know, like... Then you, it could be fifty-one percent. Is that bad? I don't know. If it if it if you, a bad relationship is one that tips to this point of it would be not helpful, predictively helpful to put more investment into. Yeah. Like a bad stock investment. Yeah, it's going down. I'm going to chase it to the bottom, or should I sell now before it continues to go down? And that's the calculation you're making with a relationship, not trying to decide if the person is good or bad. You just. Or, or a relationship with drugs, same thing, or whatever it is, it is not chasing sunken costs. If it's people use the word toxic for relationships, that's what you mean. You don't mean the person is made of poison, or they will kill everybody or hurt everybody that they all everybody they ever come in contact with. You're just saying, the more I continue to invest, it will not be. It, there's no. It doesn't seem that that's gonna. Those investments are gonna pay off. It might be better to cut my losses with this person who might be a great person and they're talk the, what I'm labeling as toxicity may just be an ill fit between me and them yeah. that doesn't even have to be judgment yeah I usually um, when I'm talking about relationships um, with people when I, I usually try to say try to say toxic dynamic because I realize that mm -hmm. right. oh yeah whether, that's great because because I'm contributing to it whether I like it or not like I've been in relationships where people have been you know controlling and you know bordering on abusive behavior or whatever but to pretend like i mm -hmm. didn't contribute to that dynamic and situation is very first of all it's reductive but it's also just patently false like i i had to participate mm -hmm. in it and that i'm not trying to you know um apply that broadly and victim blame or anything like that i just realized that i chose to be in that relationship and i chose to continue participating in the dynamics that were harmful to me 
Right. That yes. And when you get to victim, I mean, at that point, there's just certain taboos on how to discuss things like that. Like, there's no way that it's right to tell someone who's been domestically abused. Well, it's at least partly your yeah. fault. That's not something you would say, but if certainly it's it is true in another sense. Yeah. In, in, in not in a judgmental sense, but certainly you are there. You got there. You didn't deserve it by it. You never deserve abuse of any kind. Nobody does. Like, but you had to even say that. I mean, the term abuse implies that you don't deserve a thing, right? Yeah. Well, and that's. I mean, that's why it gets so complicated. Like talking about this stuff is is so interesting, but so complicated because there's you know so many people who have back to the whole different experiences and you know people are hearing the same message differently you know mm-hmm. and so so it gets uh it gets complicated but it's actually really fun i think <laughs> uh yeah to, to discuss and explore and really dig into kind of sociology and humanity and the way that that we all work individually and together is just ah oh, it's incredible yeah i mean i find it fun to think about and i i'm able to uh, separate probably more than other people and, and it gets more uncomfortable for them and that's something I've tried to realize lately is just because the thing that happens to me a lot is I am feeling that I am, know exactly what I'm talking about and have no doubt that I'm correct but it might be the thing that I'm right about and know about is not an important thing or not even the thing that everybody else is talking about <laughs> <laughs> At all. And I think that happens to other people too. But it's, um, you can be 100% right. And the thing you're right about is not even the important thing. That's true. That's true. Oh, man. That's so true. My, my dad and I, my dad is a pedantic type. So really, really loves to mm-hmm. dig into semantics. And it can really stilt the conversation sometimes. And I definitely have inherited that from him. Uh, so, so I try to be mindful of, okay, is this even what we're really talking about? Mm-hmm. or what other people are talking about. <laughs> but uh, my uh, my hip is killing me, so I, <laughs> I'm going um, to, yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for your time. I'm sorry I'm so awkward. Uh, <laughs> thank you very much. No, that's okay. <laughs> thank you very much for your time. No, I've enjoyed it. Uh, I appreciate it so much, and uh, I'll definitely let you know when it's ready to go. It'll be in the next two weeks. Uh, <laughs> In the next two weeks. Great. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I've enjoyed talking to you. I think that you have a fascinating mind, as I've observed it uh, over the time. I, it certainly seems all, you do a lot of things that are obviously alternative in, in, in my book that you have, you know, you do it your own way. And, and then that evolves and grows over time and changes. And I'm all, I always am eager to support that or encourage it or, or be involved with people i find it very stimulating when people are able to, to think differently or just you know just just for the pure fascination of it so you've you've been somebody who's entertained me uh over some period of time so good luck with the podcast and thank you for wanting to talk to me thank you so much matt